0: Welcome to the Permission to Succeed podcast. This podcast is about learning from and being inspired by people who have been successful because they found what they were passionate about, created something special, and most of all, they gave themselves permission to go and do it. The genesis of this podcast is the inspirational lives of Muhammad Ali and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and their world changing impact. The Permission to Succeed podcast is brought to you by Advisorpedia, the best place advisors come to grow their minds and businesses. And now, please join your host, Doug Heikinen.
1: Hello and welcome to the podcast. We enjoy having advisors on to tell their story about how they got here, how they helped their clients, and how they're evolving their businesses. Today, we have Michael Nakanishi on, who's an advisor in Honolulu, Hawaii. He's been in practice for 20 years and the last 11 months at Kingswood Wealth Advisors, LLC. Welcome, Michael.
0: Thank you for having me, Doug.
1: Can you tell us a little bit about your story from a financial perspective? When did you know that helping people with their financial future was for you?
0: I'm not certain if there was one gleaming moment. It sort of just happened gradually over time. Naturally, when your title is financial advisor or financial representative, people ask you all types of financial questions. And being the youngest in my office, just about my entire career, the only way to get over being younger than everyone else is studying and having more answers. So as people needed help, I helped them along the way and it morphed into a broad-based Holistic financial planning approach.
1: Does that make sense? It does. W- uh, along the way, were there some major influences that you you came across?
0: Major influences would be uh, coworkers, managers, um, even individuals that I didn't work with but were were in the industry, uh, and and clients, um, events that transformed my point of view. Uh, a great example would be culturally for Japanese Americans decades ago, life insurance wasn't top of mind. And for me, when I started in this industry, it too wasn't top of mind. It, it was something, of course, that I had to learn about, something that I had to do until someone died. And then the importance became relevant money management, I saw things go horribly wrong. And I saw things go spectacularly well and everything in between. And it became abundantly important to realize the mechanics of not just how money and investments work, but how people treat and behave with their money. Everything I would think contributed to forming my practice along the way. And it still does.
1: Yeah, so along the way, you had some stops, but you got to a point where you owned your own firm. So tell us a little bit about that journey.
0: <laughs> uh, there, were, there were many points of happenstance for that. Um, I think in the late 90s, early 2000s, I worked for Prudential and there was a mandate that We start doing property and casualty insurance in the state of Hawaii because every other state, um, the mandate worked, except in Hawaii, property and casualty insurance works a little different because of the hurricanes that we've had. So we had to get licensed and I had to become an independent contractor under the property and casualty portfolio, which was separate from the financial side and insurance side. And, uh, health insurance side. Corporate didn't really know what the situation was in, in our state and in a rush to be the ever accomplished one. I was the first one to do it, passed all my licenses, got my business license in the state of Hawaii, what we call a general excise tax license and got appointed two months later when corporate found out exactly how things work here. They found out that it was not feasible and they dropped the mandate for us as a state, but I, I, I had everything. So I kept everything. And that was the beginning of my independence. And through that, along the way, I found out how being an employee and being an independent differed from operations, the choices I make to, to even how I speak, speak to clients. And so in the early to mid-2000s, I decided to leave Prudential and I went to principal financial group as an independent. It became pretty important to me to have a certain amount of autonomy and a certain amount of choice. I really committed at that time when I had an offer for an insurance agency from another company and it was quite a bit of money and I decidedly turned it down to be independent. And that's when I knew my, my path was firm.
1: When you think about helping clients, of course, each has their own individual needs and goals. But is there a commonality to what's important when working for them as a whole?
0: I think a common element for both of us as a working group with clients is to really understand their relationship with money, what works and what doesn't. Um, I, I constantly tell people just, just for color and as a a complete exaggeration, but you know, people come to me and sometimes they're in dire straits. sometimes they're doing great and they just want to do better. But I tell everyone the same thing. You're doing a lot of things right because you're still alive. So let's keep what's going well um let's look at everything and see what we can improve on i'm not looking to change everything all at once that's a recipe for failure but making small adjustments along the way can help everyone's financial situation no matter the client
1: what do you think is the best thing you do for them
0: full disclosure and and i i don't want to (laughs) get into the compliance I'm just leaving you a label. I'm not speaking I'm not to the compliance portion of it. But um, I, I like to tell people where all the dangers are, where everything can go wrong. Because when people invest, everyone looks at the rainbow, how much money we can make doing this, how much money we can make doing that. And, and, and that's great. It appeals to me that people are goal-oriented, but I want to spell out the danger, bad things that can happen. Because I'm happy to make money as much money as possible, but only with the amount of risk that someone wants to take. If you can't afford to lose. And, and I have a little hypothetical chart I, I, I use, but if you can't afford to lose 60% of your money in any given year and be okay, then maybe a highly aggressive Growth, high-risk portfolio is not for you. We can always get there later, but dial it back to what you're comfortable with. If you're waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning in a panic, wondering what your money's doing, you're taking too much risk. I don't don't care how much money you're making. Nothing, no amount of money is worth that. And I, I I try to measure everyone's desire for financial growth With the expectation that things will not always go your way. Things you can't win all the time. In fact, losing is on the board. And these are things that we have to work through and and wait through.
1: I think that's a fabulous answer. Um, What challenges do you see investors having in today's world? It's so fast, they get badgered by so much information, and then they come to you to sift through it all. So what are the challenges you see them having?
0: I think you nailed it on the head, Doug. It, it is just so much information. It's overwhelming, but also contrived and misleading. There's a lot of a lot of cherry picking. And the hardest thing for investors is, you know, naturally, human beings as a species, we're geared to look for the easy button to look for the low hanging fruit. The shortest distance from A to B is a straight line. And we, we've been geared for that throughout. But when that leads to situational unawareness, it becomes dangerous. Someone tells you, oh, I bought this Bitcoin or I did this stock or option and you know made 10 times my money and then no one spells out the danger or even recently with I bonds, you know, it was, it was a big craze, but people don't understand just how complicated the interest rate calculations are. And there is a certain amount of risk that you take with those high bonds as well, even though they're, you know, guaranteed by the federal government. I, I, I think for the investor, there's so many shiny objects out there that it's hard for them to uncover the possible downside of anything without just tremendous effort.
1: The state of financial services is so different from when you started to today. How do you keep it all together, managing your business and your client's dreams?
0: (laughs) I'm serious. Uh, It it is very different from when I started. How how do I keep it all together? Yeah. Yeah. Some, some days does honestly, maybe I don't. (laughs) Um, I, I have tons of things to do and I, I break things down into many tasks. My calendar is sacrosanct. Um, my note taking is, is absolute. And it it really, it, it becomes a matter of record keeping. Being the best secretary I can be helps me and my clients soldier through all of it. Um, I am not young anymore. I don't have the ability to remember everything. And my clients shouldn't have to. That's my job is to help them. This is something I do every day and something they see every, every few months or once a year without good record keeping without a good calendar without good organization i would be in dire straits and probably out of the business entirely
1: most advisors do this because they love the markets they love working with their clients they love seeing them succeed is the love still there for you because it seems like that's why you're doing this
0: oh that's absolutely right. I, I do, I I do love the markets. I do love my clients and, and I, I do want them to succeed. And a lot of my job over these last, I don't know, 20, 25 years has, has really been the, the part about clients succeeding sometimes doesn't have to do with the market at all. Sometimes it has to do with cash flow issues. They may have inheritance issues. Um, even financial decisions that have nothing to do with the market—it's—it's it's so much broader than what it used to be. For for me, in general, as as the business for all of us and and for my clients as well. But life changes; everything, everything changes, and to help them with that—that that to me is success.
1: You recently made a move to Kingswood, and you weren't. Looking to make a move, but you ended up there. So, tell us a little bit about your decision-making process, and how the move may have helped you and benefited your clients.
0: Um, I was not looking to make a move. Um, my 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 last broker dealer was was great. We loved them, but the tip of the hat to Kingswood, uh, Riften, Westby, Lao Peters, it, it's, it's and everyone there. Um, first of all. They, they full disclosure they they did offer me more money which was nice right out the gate second they offered to reduce the fees and expenses for my clients which that that was a turning point at that point it became why I wouldn't move and as I spoke to riff and Val more often and I firmly more and more and and these things can never be a hundred percent before you, before you move. But I, I, as I really got a better grasp of the kind of culture there was at Kingswood, I knew I wouldn't be alone. I knew I'd have help. And if I have help, then my clients have help. I don't think anyone can do this business without help. And as the years go by, it becomes heavier and heavier. So really the lower fees for my clients, the, the more money for me helped, it did steer the ship, but lower fees for my clients and, and the help I needed to, to really get more work done for each client that I have.
1: Well, now that you've made this move, what do you have planning for your firm? What's got you excited about the future?
0: a possible expansion and, and, and i say that with a grain of salt because my first focus is more depth of work for all the clients that i have already i'd like to and, and for those that need and want it i'd like to do more depth of work i'd like to do more for the people i have already that is reasonably possible there, there are things that are going to be not possible where it's cost prohibitive. Um, but they, within, within reason, I, I'd like to give them everything I can. And as I gather more clients, I'd like them to see that broad depth of work that I do for others. To me, I think that's how I do my business. I, I'm not necessarily a volume person. You need a certain amount of volume to, of course, survive. But I, I really want to bear down on quality as much as I can. And that gets me excited. But with the help I have at Kingswood, I will be able to increase my volume. How, how much? I, I am not certain. I, I, I won't know until I can set a deeper quality standard. Does that make sense?
1: It does. It does. Um, Michael, it's been just a pleasure talking to you. And honestly, these are my favorite podcasts, talking to advisors who are the ones helping investors be successful. So thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you, Doug. I really appreciate the opportunity.
1: To learn more about Kingswood, please visit kingswoodus.com. Please follow us for timely updates on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia, our producer, Julia Smallin, our engineer, Tori Miller, and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikman.